I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. Sometimes the most exciting collaborations come in the most unexpected forms. Take us, for example. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. We'll discuss strange musical bedfellows that actually work and review Slater Kenny's first album in a decade. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and some of the best news for me this year, Jim, has been the announcement of a new Slater-Kinney record, which we are going to review later on in the show. had no idea this was coming up until a few months ago, but it's welcome news after a decade off. That's coming up later in the show, but first we've got some music news. That is Broke Down Palace from The Grateful Dead. It contains the lyric, Fare Thee Well, and that gives the name to the Grateful Dead reunion shows at Soldier Field in Chicago this summer. The band is celebrating its 50th anniversary. It was formed in 1965 in Northern California, and the original members, Phil Lesh, Bob Weir, Mickey Hart, Bill Kreutzman, are getting together. They're the only surviving original members of the band. It's also the 20th anniversary of the death of the band's nominal leader, Jerry Garcia. Well, and you and I reviewed Jerry's last show with the dead at Soldier Field way back when. It makes it somewhat appropriate that they're returning to Soldier Field to do these shows, Jim, uh, because uh, Garcia was not in great health. You could see it on that stage in July of 1995, and a month later, he was dead. And that effectively ended the band. Now, there have been some reunions over the years under other names. The other ones they were calling themselves, they were calling themselves the dead. For the first time since then, they're using the Grateful Dead moniker. They've asked Trey Anastasio of Fish to fill in for Garcia on guitar for these three dates. Uh, They've also got Bruce Hornsby and Jeff Chimanti on keyboards. Hornsby played with the dead a number of times uh, in their original incarnation, and Chimanti has been filling in on these various dead reunion shows and also playing in Weir's band Rat Dog over the years. And Weir is saying these will be the last shows with the four of us together, but he kind of (laughs) sort of left the door open that if things go well, you never know. But right now, these are the only three shows the dead are scheduled to play, and they're in Chicago this summer. Well, it's still January, Greg, but obviously talk about big summer shows is heating up. The biggest of the summer shows anywhere are the festivals. According to Viagogo.com, which is a, a worldwide ticketing marketplace, Overall ticket demand has risen 157% in 2015 for music festivals. They say the biggest festival anywhere in the world happens in Boom, Belgium. I didn't even know there was a Boom, Belgium. (laughs) It's called the Tomorrowland Festival. But we've got a couple of American festivals in the running as well. The Coachella Festival in Southern California, those tickets already have gone on sale. They've got some big headliners they've announced. Drake, 
Jack White, ACDC, FKA Twigs. Down in Tennessee, Bonnaroo, those tickets are coming. They've announced the lineup. Billy Joel is one of the big names. That's a little strange to me. It is strange. Billy Joel is uh, headlining at the Bonnaroo Festival, as you mentioned. You know, rarely performs festivals, can sell out stadiums by himself. He's playing Wrigley Field later in the summer in in Chicago, Chicago, and probably will sell that out as he has his previous three appearances there. So he's headlining uh, Bonnaroo. New Orleans Jazz Fest has Elton John, who was at Bonnaroo last year. Again, Elton normally does his own stadium shows. He doesn't have to do festival bills. They must be throwing a lot of money at these veteran performers, and I'm guessing that's the case here. The Who is also performing at the New Orleans Jazz Fest. Again, a band that doesn't do a whole lot of festival shows. What is it with these oldies acts, right, Jim? I mean, Tony Bennett on the New Orleans Jazz Fest bill, along with Lady Gaga, that pairing they did an album together last year. You know, if, if, if I want to be anywhere in the early part of this summer for a festival, I'm picking the governor's ball at Randall's Island in New York with uh, Bjork uh, making her mm. comeback. She hasn't toured in quite a while. She's got a new album coming out, and she's hitting the road for the first time, and that will be one of her big headlining dates this summer. We've made this observation before, but these festivals are getting more and more generic in terms of tapping into the same pool of artists. Drake is at Governor's Ball, which you just mentioned. He's also at Coachella. Actually, of the three American festivals that, that have announced their lineup so far, Governor's Ball, Coachella, and Bonnaroo, there are a bunch of artists on all three bills. Right. War on Drugs, Florence and the Machine, Flying Lotus, Benjamin Booker, and it's only going to get worse once Lollapalooza and other festivals announce. The festival I'm excited about is, is, is a little one in Knoxville, Tennessee, Big Ears Festival in late March. This is kind of an avant-garde music festival. Terry Riley, Laurie Anderson, Tune Yards, Swans, Perfume Genius, That's what I call a festival. But what about you? Are you excited about the dead coming back? Are there any festivals that are getting you pumped up this season? Give us a call, 888-859-1800. That's a little bit of Mariah Carey with the song Emotions, one of many big hits, Greg. Fans are going to want to know, can Mariah still hit that note? Can she make dogs anywhere within a five-mile radius still cringe in pain? Mariah is following in the footsteps of several big artists in recent years who have done high-profile Las Vegas stands. I'm talking about like Cher, Bette Midler, Shania Twain, Rod Stewart, Elton John. She's going to be doing a residency, Mariah Carey, playing her number one hits to coincide with a new album called Number Ones. She had 18 of them, and uh, she's going to be holding court in Vegas, right? That's where a lot of people go, and you don't even have to be alive to be a respected star and do a big Vegas stand. I love this little story. Liberace is the latest artist who's going to get the hologram treatment. Remember the big fuss when uh, both Michael Jackson and Tupac appeared as holograms on stage at high-profile appearances? Well, there's another company now doing a Liberace 3D hologram. He's going to be uh, returning to Vegas where he was much loved, says the chairman of the Liberace Foundation. Fans, once again, will be able to feel the warmth from his heart, the sparkle of his eye. Seesaw swinging with the boys in tune And the feet are flying up in the air Singing A-diddle-diddle with the 
That is Walk This Way, a mid-80s collaboration between the hip-hop group Run DMC and the rock band Aerosmith, and it kicks off our segment on strange musical bedfellows. And when we talk about strange bedfellows, what does this concept really mean? I think that song sort of embodies it, Jim. I mean, it was completely unexpected for this to happen. Run DMC was on the ascent. They were the new sound. Hip-hop mm-hmm. was starting to rise. I think producers Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons had this idea that we want to get over to that mainstream. We want to cross over from that inner city audience to a much wider MTV crowd, if you will. How do we do that? Well, we'll hire this band that nobody cares about at the moment. Aerosmith yeah. was kind of you know, on the descent and not only revived Aerosmith's career with that collaboration, but also did exactly what they hoped to do with Run DMC in introducing them to a whole new audience and bringing them into an arena-level act at the time. Well, it's a good track to get us rolling, Greg, but we want it to be a little more ambitious, a little stranger. I mean, Run DMC, Aerosmith, that's chocolate and peanut butter, okay? We want to do peanut butter and pickles, all right? So we're going for some (laughs) truly strange musical bedfellows, but they work. You're up first. What do you got? Jim, when you talk about peanut butter and pickles, I mean, we are talking two collaborators that you thought would never get together. And I'm not saying these two never would have gotten together, but it certainly seemed like an odd pairing when it occurred in 1994. I'm talking about John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin, and I'm talking about Diamanda Galas. For those of you who don't know, she's got a background in opera, performance art, the avant-garde, the fringe of all of these genres with a powerful multi-octave voice, really heavy, intense works like Plague Mass, which addressed the AIDS crisis, but really doesn't have a lot to do with anything touching on pop or rock music, per se. John Paul Jones, of course, uh, background in Zeppelin, also a great session musician, had been doing a lot of interesting projects around this time, working with people like the Butthole Surfers, R.E.M. Later on, he went to work with Them Crooked Vultures with Josh Homme and Dave Grohl. But I think this was one of his oddest and most successful collaborations. John Paul Jones co-wrote some of the songs, produced the record, did some of the instrumentation. Diamanda's voice did the rest. They had an extraordinary tour that followed the release of the album called The Sporting Life. Uh, I remember covering a show that they did in Chicago, and somebody in the audience cries out for that Zeppelin song, the song remains the same. (laughs) And Diamanda just gave him a withering look, and she said, no, it doesn't. She's a frightening woman in a great way. (laughs) Exactly. The song does not remain the same once uh, Diamanda Galas gets through with it. Here's their collaboration, Do You Take This Man?, from the sporting life, John Paul Jones with Diamanda Galas on Sound Opinions. I'm very disappointed in you, and I don't handle disappointment well. I'd like to say I could forgive you, but I can never forgive. Just forget.
Is Diamanda Gloss and John Paul Jones, my first example of a musical odd couple with a song called Do You Take This Man on Sound Opinions. What's up first for you, Jim? Good choice, Greg. Uh, I was going to go with a producer-artist coupling that is most unexpected. It works so perfectly that people may not even question Phil Spector having produced the Ramones for that album End of the Century, circa 79-1980. But if you think about it, the Ramones are the masters of minimalism, right? You know, a a 40-year career with the number of guitar solos being able to be counted on one hand, and really the number of chords that they ever used in all that time, you can count on a a hand uh, and a half, maybe, right? And Phil Spector, master of the wall of sound, maximalism. Why use one bass guitar when four is better? Why have one horn section when you can have six, right? So you have the the, the maximalist-minimalist coupling in this strange but wonderful collaboration that, that really both of them had that love for a 50s rock and roll and brill-building pop, and it really worked spectacularly. Wonderful stories coming about how, you know, they just didn't understand each other. They were from different planets, but the Ramones and Spectre did it right. Rock and Roll High School is one of their greatest songs in their catalog. There are several versions of it. If you listen to the earlier just Ed Stasium produced version, it's very simple. Right, And then Spectre remixed that, and then they recorded it again completely anew, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger every time, but it's still 100% Ramones. Ramones, Rock and Roll High School, produced by Phil Spector on Sound Opinions.
Rock and Roll High School by the Ramones with Phil Spector at the mixing desk. Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, more of our favorite musical odd couples. Then Greg and I review the new release from Reunited Riot Girls, Slater Kinney. To all the girls I've loved before Who traveled in and out of my door I'm glad they came along I dedicate this song to all the girls I've loved before. To all the girls I once caressed. Then may I say I've been the best for helping me to grow. I owe a lot I know to all the girls I've So change always Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. Greg, I don't think we're as strange bedfellows as Paul McCartney and Kanye West. <laughs> that is the song, Only One. That's the first taste from uh, Kanye's upcoming album. That's what really got us thinking about this strange bedfellows idea. What do you got for us as a strange bedfellow that you really are excited about? Thank you, Jim. My next pick is going to be a musical combo that call themselves the Hindu Love Gods. <laughs> That's basically R.E.M. with a, with whoever happened to show up that day. Three-fourths of R.E.M. Everybody but Michael Stipe, in other words. Uh, Bill Berry on drums, Mike Mills on bass, Peter Buck on guitar, various lead vocalists. They actually started playing some gigs around Athens, Georgia in uh, the mid-'80s with various lead vocalists, including... Warren Zevon, not exactly the first guy I would think of when I think uh, when I think of an obvious collaborator with REM. Zevon was uh, a West Coast songwriter. He was kind of traveling the same circles as Jackson Brown, who was a big backer, not nearly as well known as some of the people who made hit songs out of his tracks. Uh, Linda Ronstadt, for example, recorded covers of a couple of his tracks and made them hits in the 70s. But Zevon was a well-respected songwriter, but sort of on that fringe of that California scene. He ends up with R.E.M. performing this one gig in, in the mid-'80s, and then they show up together again in a recording studio a few years later, and apparently a few drinks get passed around, and the next <laughs> thing you know, 
They're doing cover songs, old blues covers, some mutually respected tunes that was just done as a lark. There was no intent to put this out. But uh, when some of the A&R guys at one of the record companies got a hold of it, they said, hey, this is pretty good. Let's put this out. So in 1990, the one and only Hindu Love Gods record came out with Zevon and the uh, basically the R.E.M. rhythm section. And lo and behold, one of the songs on the record became a reasonably big hit, a cover of Prince's Raspberry Beret. And here is that song. Warren Zevon on lead vocals backed up by R.E.M., the Hindu Love Gods, on Sound Opinion. Warren Zevon plus R.E.M. as the Hindu love gods covering Prince. Now, those are a series of names you don't see in the same sentence every day. I would have gone with R.E.M. collaborating with the Trogs, but I like yours as well. Yeah, that's pretty strange as well. Now, you've got another strange musical bedfellow, Jim. What do you got? I think this is going to be the strangest, one of the strangest songs we've ever played on Sound Opinions. The KLF, Greg, much of what is happening today in electronic dance music was pioneered between 87 and 91 by these two crazy Brits, Bill Drummond and Jimmy Cowdy, the KLF. They were part of that psychedelic Liverpool scene that gave us, uh, you know, Echo and the Bunnymen and Teardrop Explodes. The electronic dance grooves were brilliant. And then what they did melody-wise throughout their career, I mean, shocking, we've never paid homage to this band earlier. But their biggest hit came in 1991, Justified and Ancient, where... 
Drummond and Cowdy recruited the great country politan singer Tammy Wynette. And there's a video. Look up on YouTube, uh, kids at home. Right? Mm-hmm. This is the strangest thing. I don't know if Tammy was in on the joke or she didn't know what was happening. And that was it. This was a huge hit for the KLF. Topped the British charts. Got it up, up to number 11 on the American charts. And then they disappeared. What a way to go out. So this is KLF and Tammy Wynette, justified and ancient on Sound Opinions. Tammy Wynette, Justified and Ancient Stand by the Jams, was the subtitle on Sound Opinions. A strange bedfellow indeed. Greg, uh, you have another one? Yes, Jim, I do. This has a little bit of a history to it. I want to tell you a brief backstory. I was interviewing Tom York of Radiohead in the early 2000s. Now, at the time, they were becoming a major, major mainstream band in America. But cutting edge, they still had that rep, like, you know, they're, they're cool, but even as they're selling out arenas. Now, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, on the other hand, even though they were selling out arenas, too, around the same time, not many people thought of them as cool, Never right? Never cool, no. So we were, we were talking about this concept of guilty pleasures, and he brought up the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I go, really? You, you like them? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I do. And uh, he, he kind of pawned it off on his wife being the big fan. But I have to say this. I think the one thing we both mutually agreed on, there was two great instrumentalists in that group, John Frusciante, the guitar player for a time, and uh, Flea, who belies his reputation as a really good, great bass player by showing up in a diaper on stage or, yeah. you know, or, or nothing at all. Yeah. yeah. But really a profound musician in many ways. And I think uh, York heard that. So then when it came time to put together 
a band to tour behind his first solo album a few years later. He called this band Adams for Peace, and it included obvious choices like Nigel Godrich, his, uh, his producer in Radiohead, and Joey Warnker on drums, who's, who's played drums for just about everybody, and then Flea on bass. Well, Flea ends up being pretty much the featured performer on these tours. He really transformed that uh, very insular solo music that York had made and, and really made it come alive on stage. So when it came time for Adams for Peace to do an album of its own in 2013, they came up with an album called Amok. Flea was a big, big part of it. A lot of interesting influences, the Acid House, Dubstep, Glitch Electronica, all elements that York had been playing around with on Radiohead albums really coming to the fore on this project. But using the live instrumentation, people like Flea playing a big part in in combining elements of electronic and live music into this unique hybrid that made me think of a lot of jazz fusion type stuff, the Herbie Hancock groups of the 70s, or maybe a little bit of Ornette Coleman's primetime. Very experimental, but yet accessible at the same time. Here's a track from that 2013 album. It's called Dropped. It's from Adams for Peace with Tom York and Flea on Sound Opinions. Adams for Peace, key members there, Flea and Tom York. Hard to Yeah, that sounds like a joke. Flea and Tom York walk into a bar, <laughs> right? right? right. Uh, that's a great collaboration. This was also a sort of a joke. My next pick, Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue. So Kylie Minogue, I, I don't think in the States we appreciate what she means in the rest of the world. You have to kind of think of a combination of Taylor Swift and Lady Gaga and Madonna, hmm. and that's only scratching the surface, right? Nick Cave 
had this thing about her, right? Nick Cave, the Prince of Darkness, also from Australia, always wanted to write a song with her in mind, he said. He finally got around to it on the 1996 album Murder Ballads, Where the Wild Roses Grow. He envisioned this and wrote it as a collaboration, a duet. He sent it to her. He never thought he'd hear back. She got back right away and said, sure, I'm down. Now, this is Cave rewriting the traditional folk song, Down in the Willow Garden, where the killer is having a dialogue with his victim, soon to be past tense, right? And I remember seeing them perform this, and it was just surreal, just just bizarre. It, it could have been on our Beauty and the Beast show a while back, right? right. but we were saving it for this one, Strange Bedfellow. So here is Where the Wild Roses Grow, Nick Cave, Kylie Minogue, Strange Bedfellows on Sound Opinions. They call me the wild day I saw her, I knew she was the one She stared in my eyes and smiled For her lips were the color of the roses That grew down the river, all bloody and wild When he knocked on my door and entered the room My trembling subsided in his sure embrace He would be my first man and with a careful hand He wiped out the tears That ran down my face They call me the wild rose But my name was Eliza Day Why they call me that I do not know On the second day I brought her a flower She's more beautiful than any woman I've seen I said, do you know where the wild roses grow So sweet and scarlet and free On the second day he came with a single red rose He said, give me your loss and your sorrow Show you the roses where you found old. They call me the wild rose. My name was Eliza Day. Why they call me that I do not know. For my name was Eliza Day. Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue, Where the Wild Roses Grow on Sound Opinions, a musical odd couple. If you want to share a musical pairing that surprised you or comment on anything in the rock world, give us a call at 888-859-1800. We're going to be back with our final picks and review of the new album by Slater Kinney. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. While you wait for the others to make it all worthwhile All you use 
useless pretensions Weighing on my time You could beg for forgiveness As long as you Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis. We're running down some great musical, strange bedfellows. Jim, we've each got time for one more. What's your last pick? You know, I was going to go with Common and the Jonas Brothers, but I thought that would be too cruel to <laughs> inflict on people. And, no, no, and no. let's stay on the positive tip. Another great uh, unexpected producer band collaboration, Alex Chilton worked with the Cramps. Now, Alex Chilton, of course, is the cult figure of all time for aficionados of power pop. He was part of the box tops and then famously a big star, right? Chiming guitars, beautiful melodies, rich harmonies are all part of his thing, none of which the Cramps have ever even approached in mm-hmm. their worst nightmare. The Cramps are gritty, gutsy, grimy, dirty, rockabilly garage rock, right? How this happened, I still am unclear, except that there was this sort of Memphis fondness that both uh, bands ever had. You know, Chilton was from Memphis. Songs the Lord Taught Us was the debut album by the Cramps, released in 1980. Alex Chilton behind the mixing board. They did it at Sun Studios, of all places, and then they worked together later again in their career. I'm going to play a typical Cramps song. They're all on this album, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes long. They're nasty, they're mean. I don't know, maybe Chilton just hung out. I don't even know if he did anything. But it, it's wonderful in, in the way that all cramps are. It's called Zombie Dance, the cramps working with Alex Chilton on Sound Opinions.
Cramps and Alex Chilton with Zombie Dance on Sound Opinions. Greg, have you got a final strange bedfellow? I do, Jim. Uh, When we came up with this concept, one of the albums that came to mind immediately was the soundtrack for an otherwise forgettable movie called Judgment Night from 1993. It was right a bad at, movie. Yeah, right. But right at the height of that sort of alternative rock, grunge era explosion, and, and hip-hop was really in its golden era, the people who were putting together the soundtrack said, let's collaborate, let's create these collaborations. So most of them are, are fairly, while I would say maybe unpredictable, they follow that Run DMC Aerosmith model that we talked about at the top. You know, the, the hard rock band with some rap verses in the middle, and right. you sort of get a collaboration that really isn't a collaboration per se. Well, I mean, it's not a true the, synergy. You, you know? wonder if these acts were even in the studio at the same time. Yeah, it, it definitely had that feel. Pearl Jam and Cypress Hill, Slayer and Ice-T, Mud Honey and Sir Mix-a-Lot. It's fun, but it's not particularly astonishing. But one of the collaborations is astonishing. In fact, I couldn't even imagine when somebody suggested this and somebody said, said hey, that's a great idea. Well, it's a great idea because no one would have thought of it. And just to throw these two groups together in the studio and see what happens, uh, it's fascinating to, to, to hear. Della Soul and Teenage Fan Club. <laughs> you've got, on one hand, you've got this chiming power pop band from Scotland in Teenage Fan Club. And then you've got this sort of day-glow hip-hop group from New York in Della Soul. What do they have to say to each other? Well, I think what they did was they just got really trippy. And, and, and both groups have never sounded quite this... Slow, dreamy, atmospheric, drug-addled, if you will, ever again. But it's a fascinating look into what they might do if they were put together in a studio. I, I think its weirdness can be off-putting, but if you spend a little time with it, you go, man, yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. It's a track called Fallen from Della Soul and Teenage Fan Club on the Judgment Night soundtrack on Sound Opinions. Hey, yo, kids! What's up? Remember when I used to be dope? Yeah. I own a pocket full of fame. But look what you're doing now. I know. Well, I know. I lost touch with reality. Now my personality is an unwanted commodity. Believe Can't it. believe I used to be Mr. Steve Austin on the mic. Six million ways. I used to run it. I guess Oscar Goldman got mad. Because I got loose circuits. So loose. I mean the mother goose with the eggs that seem to be... I'm out of here. Mama don't love me and my mama don't care. Read the papers, the headlines say, washed up rapper got sung. Lingo's busted while the guitar sways. B-side copy for the radio plays for something. I knew I blew the whole fandango when the drum programmer wore a kango. Never could be like great fish won't bite bait. Realize that I'm over like clover. No good lucking, so mace beat the fucking beat. While the teenage fans the heat, I bring it to the clues. Paid all my dues, so what's going dead? Let me use my forehead. Easy pack it up, man. Let me stop stalling, cause everything I do is like falling.
That's Della Soul and Teenage Fan Club collaborating on Fallen from 1993 on Sound Opinions. That completes our discussion of strange musical bedfellows, and you can see both my list and Jim's list at soundopinions.org. That is a song called No Cities to Love, which happens to be the title track for the new Slater Kinney album, the eighth studio album of their career, and a record, Greg, as you said earlier, that people never thought we'd really get. Slater Kenny released seven albums in the years between 1995 and 2005. They never said they were gone for good. They called it an indefinite hiatus. But the three key members, uh, the best-known version of the band, everybody thought they were done because there were other projects. Corin Tucker was raising a family. Let's go back to the beginning. This group forms in 1994 from the ashes of two riot girl groups, Heavens to Betsy and Excuse 17, singers and guitarists Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein, never a bassist in the band. They had a different drummer early on, but Janet Weiss joins in around 97 and really gives them the powerhouse rhythmic backing that carries them through this series of albums, which meant the world to a certain group of fans. You know, you you have this group which are excellent instrumentalists talking about political topics, gender disparities, consumerism, the male hierarchy, a lot of anger, but also a lot of instrumental sophistication. Their last album was produced by Dave Fridman, best known for working for the Flaming Lips and really was a step toward a bigger sound and then nothing for a very long time, and now they're back. We're going to play a track from the album Surface Envy from No Cities to Love by Slater Kinney. Now, Slater Kinney, we did our research, Greg. This apparently is the correct pronunciation for the off-ramp in Olympia on the highway that originally gave the group its name. We've been saying it wrong for, for 20 years, Slater Kinney. All right, we're trying to get it right now. Better late than never. Here's the group. We'll come back with our review on Sound Opinions. We're 
That is Slater Kinney with a track called Surface Envy from the new album No Cities to Love, their eighth studio album, their first in a decade. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, it's great to hear them back. I didn't think they would come back, especially with the way Carrie Brownstein's career has taken off since Slater Kenny took that hiatus. You know, the star of Portlandia. When yeah. do you have time to record a record? And what would it sound like? I'm glad to report that what it sounds like is they got back with a real sense of purpose, a real sense of, you know, we have a legacy, we have a standard we need to live up to. It's not worth putting something out just to put something out. It's got to be good. It's got to be great. And I think they almost get there. I, I wouldn't call this a great album, but I would say the first half dozen tracks just tear the top of my head off, <laughs> especially that track, Surface Envy. What, what I'm hearing is a real ferocity. The interplay between Brownstein and Tucker's guitars really is the key to this record. Just when you think, you know, guitar, drums, rock and roll is gasping its last breath, you, you hear a band like this and it revives everything for you. Similarly with the lyrics, their stance has always been about outsiders. They were pioneers of that riot girl movement. They were always talking about outsiders dealing with what else America has to give them. This whole notion, these big questions of power and powerlessness, the voiceless in a society that is crushing them. You can hear it right off the top of the bat with price tag. You know, where do we fit into this? The, The whole idea of fight's over, but I fight on. That's one of the lyrics that sort of jumps out at you in the record. And the other one I love, we win, we lose, only together do we break the rules. That, to me, is the band talking to each other. They made a very powerful statement here in coming back in this way. I think the second half of the album is not quite as good as the first half, but I'm still going to give it a buy it rating. I knew you would, Greg. They're a band that I respect enormously, but I've never been able to bring myself to love. And I've spent a lot of time trying to see what I was... I mean, I have several dear friends that have Slater Kinney tattoos, okay, <laughs> that have begged me to try to get it. I think for me, part of the uh, the problem, the hurdle, has always been Tucker and Brownstein's vocals. There's a sort of shrillness, a sort of a screaminess to them. Mm-hmm. Now, if we go back and put them in context, you know, I heard bands like L7 and Babes in Toyland and Zuzu's Pedals, and even to some extent bigger alternative bands like Hole and Veruca Salt doing anger with more melody and with better vocals at times. Instrumentally, I think they've always been fantastic. I don't... Your big test for a band reuniting after 10 or 15 years and coming back for what the cynical could call the cash-in tour Mm. is, was there unfinished business? Can you honestly tell me that over the seven albums that exist in the catalog, there was unfinished business? I think Wild Flag, which had the melody and the vocals. Brownstein collaborating with Mary Timoney, one album, a perfect album. We loved it. They were on Sound Opinions. I think that band has unfinished business. I think they were just beginning to tap, going interesting places with melody and aggression. I don't hear nothing no, new from Slater Kenny. Do you really say that we needed them back? Yeah, no, I think th- this album proves it for me. I'm really glad they're back. All right, well, you know, so you're a super enthusiastic buy it. I will give it a try it. All due respect, I just don't love it. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have Rolling Stones biographer Stanley Booth talking about the Stones' legacy. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, Evan Chung, and our intern, Alex Claiborne. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. Hey, how you doing? Sorry I can't get through. Actually, your name and your number, and I'll get
To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.